living the word today. So, every time we open this book, it is a fresh opportunity for God to talk to us. Let's make sure, let's make very sure that we are listening to what he wants to say to us. Livingthewordtoday.com. Look, the message of the Bible does indeed prepare us for eternity, but it also prepares us for the day we are currently living. Welcome to Living the Word Today. We invite you to spend the next few minutes studying God's Word with your Bible teacher, Jesse Wagoner. Pastor Wagoner's desire for you is not only to understand God's truth, but to help you live it today. More resources can be found on our website, livingthewordtoday.com. Now it is time to open your heart and your Bible for your time in the Word. Today I just want to talk about what a Savior we have. What, what a Savior. I also brought my hymn book with me, a hymn book with me. And uh, I just want to borrow some words from a man named Philip P. Bliss. He was a contemporary and a close friend of D.L. Moody. He lived in the, seven, in the 1800s. And uh, a song that you may know, and it's simply entitled, Hallelujah, What a Savior. And he, he just captures <laughs> some of the wonder and some of the magnificence of the Savior we have in a very poetic form. Man of sorrows, what a name for the Son of God who came. Ruined sinners to reclaim. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Bearing shame and scoffing rude. In my place condemned he stood. Sealed my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah. What a Savior. We need to find some words today that can just take us into that reality, especially as we gather around the Lord's table this morning, uh, that, so that we can just somehow express our heart back to God, that we have a Savior. And I think that is what is accomplished here in Hebrews chapter 7. And let me just, let me just kind of sort of ramp you up. It's been a couple weeks since we've been in Hebrews. And uh, it's, it's one of these sections in the book that to us here in the, 20, uh, in, in, the, in the 21st century that seems so strange to us but have been so recognizable to people in the first century. And he's talking here about that Jesus is a high priest. And uh, if you look at verse chapter 8, verse 1, he says... Now, this is the main point of the things we're saying. So after this statement about him being the high priest, he gets back and he makes this summary statement in the next chapter. This is, this is a major point here. We have a high priest. But to the Jews of that day, in the mid-first century A.D., to the Jewish believers, notice it says Hebrews at the top of the page, okay? So it's, it's written to Jewish believers in Christ. And they were having a hard time processing this. How could you have a high priest? Because in their system, a high priest had to be of the tribe of Levi. We know very specifically that Jesus was born from the tribe of Judah, both through his uh, adoptive, we say it this way, his adoptive father and his biological mother. And so he was not qualified. So this was sort of like just shaking their whole sensibilities, okay? And that's what he's talking about. So I want, to, I want to kind of begin with the end and go back to the beginning, okay? I want you to go down to verse 25. Because as he ramps up, we're going to look at verses 11 through 28. But 25 is really where we're going to camp. And we'll just kind of see how it flows to this, this verse and how it flows from this verse. But speaking of Jesus, he says this. Therefore, he 
is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. And he mentions that such a high priest in the next verse. Two key phrases there. One is just sort of beyond the scope of the, the horizon of all things when he says that he is able to save to the uttermost. And how is he able to do that? He's making intercession for us. Two things that no earthly priest could do. And that's why our title is, that when we, t when we think about this, that Jesus is the greatest of all, as we said in Hebrews, because that is the theme of the book. You have all these things in your Jewish faith and traditions and covenant and law and all that, but Jesus is greater than all of that. Now, he's going to talk about three key things, and we'll look at this in just a moment, briefly. But he talks about the priesthood. He talks about the covenant. He talks about sacrifices. To the Jews, those were just like things you could not let go of. So when he comes along and he's saying that Jesus is greater than the priesthood because he's a high priest of a different order, and he's, he's, he's brought in a new covenant, and uh, he has eliminated the sacrificial system because he is the once-for-all sacrifice, this just absolutely just exploded their minds. And for them, it was like, how can this be? This seems impossible. This seems so hard to grasp. I, I don't know if I can, I can get my mind wrapped around this. So their struggle to get to a place where you would say, what a Savior, hallelujah, what a Savior, was they had this obstacle saying, how can this be? We have an obstacle because we see it clearly as New Testament believers. We understand that Jesus was born of a virgin. We understand that he was God's son. We understand that he lived a sinless life. We understand that he taught and represented God. We understand that he was betrayed, crucified, died not just for himself. He did not die for himself, but he died as a substitute for us. And he paid sin's price through his death. He was the Lamb of God, slain from the foundation of the world, destined for that, died on the cross. Three days later, he, he was resurrected by the power of God. He then ascends into heaven where he's there representing us. All of that, we can just tick those things off. Tick, 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 tick. Not hard to understand. We got that. We got, we got this all locked down. We understand the law of the Old Testament and Jesus is the fulfillment of it. We understand the sacrifice of the Old Testament. Jesus is the once for all sacrifice. We understand the priesthood of the Old Testament and we understand that he's our great high priest. For them, it was like, how can I believe this? For us, is oh, we already believe this. For them, it was like, how do I get there? For us, we've been there, done that. And that's why we, how we need to approach this passage. We need to be enthralled. We need to be impressed. We need to be shocked. We need to be moved. We need to be told. We need to be just convinced of the significance of this once-for-all Savior, this one who is above all. And we need to come back in our hearts and in our minds and in our practice, in our lives, in our choices, that we say, what? A savior we have. So even though our task is slightly different to get there, nonetheless, this is going to impress us with this. So let me just quickly get you to back to verse 25. And I'll just look very quickly, verse 11, you want to start there. He goes through this, this reality. I'm not going to repeat everything I said about Melchizedek last time. Uh, it's online if you want to see that, or you can get it on the podcast and listen to it if you want to. But now he's going to talk about the Levitical priesthood in Jesus' place. Verse 11, Therefore, if perfection were through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there of another priest who should rise according to the order of Melchizedek? 
and not be called according to the order of Aaron. For the, her, for the priesthood being changed of necessity, there's also a change of the law. For he whom all these things are spoken belongs to another tribe for which no man has officiated at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord, speaking of Jesus, arose from Judah, which, of which tribe Moses spoke nothing concerning priesthood. Remember, this, will just, this is mind-blowing to them. We just read it. Verse 15. And, as, and it is yet far more evident if in the likeness of Melchizedek there arises another priest who has come not according to the law of a, of a fleshly commandment, but according to the power of the endless life. For he testifies, and here he's quoting from this psalm in the Old Testament. And in verse 17, here he's quoting from Psalm 110, verse 4. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. The last time we looked at that's a messianic psalm. So basically he's saying this. First of all, Jesus is greater than all of your human effort. The human condition, as he spells it out here, is imperfect, unprofitable, and weak. He says all of those things in this text. In fact, weak is in verse 18. And on the one hand, there is a, an annulling of the former command, commandment because of its weakness and unprofitableness. So he's saying, all that you've experienced, you Hebrews, the priesthood, sacrifice, covenant, it had its place, and basically its place, Paul takes the whole book of Galatians to kind of expound this. The place of the law is to show us that we can't save ourselves. Human effort will not save you. Human effort will not suffice. The priesthood could not save. It was no lasting permanent thing. It is unprofitable and weak. And he just kind of spells it out there. All that stuff that you were trusting in doesn't cut it. For us as, as, as 21st century believers... All the things that we think might be that, and we were maybe told, or maybe we feel, that we think could add to our faith and our understanding, it doesn't cut it. Jesus is all you need. Why? Because what a Savior we have. He is the one. And that's what he wants to draw our hearts back to, that simple, simple reality. And he then goes into some of the qualifications now that Jesus has that the priests of the Old Testament era didn't have. And if you just pick it up here in verse 19. For the law made nothing perfect. On the one hand, there is the bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. There's that word better. You see that numerous times, by the way, in the book of Hebrews. Jesus is better. Jesus is greater. You're looking at this. He's better. For them, it's from an Old Testament persuasion. From us, it's he's better than just this sort of passive, weak, tacit, viewpoint that yeah we're believers but don't get too excited about it you know we, we just we understand all these things we've been there done that we've learned that when what he wants to do is to grip our hearts and draw us to this place where we can say nothing that we can do nothing that we can express nothing except to say what a savior we have the magnificence of the savior is in view so here's his qualifications now verse 20 inasmuch as he was not made priest without an oath so first of all, he's greater than human effort. Now we're going to look at this fact of his qualifications. His qualifications are this. He was, he was appointed by a divine oath. The divine oath is what God spoke. God says, according to Psalm 110, you are of the priesthood of Melchizedek. You are this priest forever. God said it. That's the way it is. You have no higher appeal than a divine statement, a divine oath. And he talks about a better covenant. Uh, verse 21. 
and they have become priests without an oath. For, for they have become priests without an oath. But he with an oath by him who said to him, again, quoting from the same psalm, the Lord has sworn and will not relent your priests forever according to the order of Melchizedek. By so much, verse 22, by so much more, Jesus has become the surety of a better covenant. The Old Testament covenant had its place to show us that we needed a Savior. The better covenant is this. If you believe in Him, you will live forever. If you believe in Him, your sins are dealt with. If you believe in Him, you're one of His children. A better covenant. I love it. says, I'm reading from the New King James. It says it's a surety, but literally you can translate it. This is the rock-solid guarantee that this is better. What we have in Christ is better. And that would have shaken their sensibilities, and it is my prayer that it will shake yours and mine. That you and I will leave this morning as we are exposed to this passage of Scripture with just this simple reaction that Jesus is a Savior above all. He is a Savior that is greater than all. And He is your Savior, and we just need to respond with love, accompanied by our actions, and we would say, what a Savior. There's one more that we can look at, and it's right there in verse 23 and 24. And there were many priests because they were prevented by death from continuing. So you could be a priest until you died, and when you died, you weren't a priest anymore. Pretty obvious, okay? And he says in verse 24, But he, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Here is this fact that he serves forever. So he spelled out human effort, it's weak, it's imperfect, it's unprofitable. Jesus' qualifications, he's greater because of a divine oath, a better covenant, and, and he serves forever. Where does that leave us? It leaves us where we began. And we are back to verse 24. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost. Here's the great rea reality, that, that he brings us back to that point. Now, where do we, how do we approach this? How do we approach this? Let me read one more stanza from uh, Hallelujah, What a Savior. Guilty, vile, and helpless we, spotless lamb of God was he. That's a contrast, isn't it? Helpless, vile, but what was he? He was the spotless lamb. Guilty, vile, and helpless we, spotless lamb of God was he. Full atonement. Can it be? Hallelujah, what a Savior. The fact is, full atonement is granted to us. Well, what do we need to do? We need to do this. Uh, you need to think less of you. I need to think less of me. We need to think less of us. So that's the response. This is response number one. Think less of you. For the Jews of the Old Testament, they were thinking about the covenant, the priesthood, and the sacrifice, and the temple, and all that stuff. He says, no, don't think about that. Think about Christ. For us as New Testament believers, we need to get the, the sameness and the ordinariness, and the regularness, and the repetitiveness of what we have in our experience of faith, and to just kind of push that all aside and say, I don't want to think about me anymore. I want to think about you. I want to think about you. We want to, we want to get to this point where we know that He is our Savior. That we would say, as we just sung a little bit ago, above all, above all things, above all things, that He is above all things. And the, I'm quite convinced. Now, we treat him as this, oh, what a Savior, because he deserves it. 
But I'm also convinced that there's some fringe benefits if we do. And part of those fringe benefits is it is pretty healthy for us not to obsess on ourselves. If we obsess on ourselves, that sort of by nature is not healthy for us. Because we either see our faults and we beat ourselves up over it rather than saying we have a Savior, then the faults are on Him. Or we look at ourselves and say, I'm pretty good. I'm better than she is. I'm better than they are. I'm, I'm, I'm not doing too bad. Well, we need to look at the Savior and say, as it says just a moment ago, guilty, vile, and helpless we, spotless Lamb of God is He. To come back to that, just, that's what worship does for us. That's what coming to the communion table does for us. That's what being here this morning does for us. That's what being in the Word regularly and daily does for us. That's what talking to Him in prayer does for us. That's what filling our, our, our minds with, with worship songs and songs that just fill our minds with things that take us back to Him. Why? Because we need to say, what a Savior. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Now let's get into the, the meat of this for us, okay? That kind of just ramped us up to that. Now let's get to this. Verse 24. Therefore He is also able to save us to the uttermost. First of all, His ability is stated right there in the text. His ability is stated. So he is greater than human need. He's greater than, than what we need. So Jesus is greater than human, your, your needs you have, okay, your need, all right? And his ability is stated. What does he have? What is he able to do? He's able to save. Save from what? Save from judgment. Save from sin. Save from condemnation. Save from the pattern of life that we're in. To save us from all that. To save us from sin's penalty to save us from sin's presence, and to save us from sin's power. He is able to do that. And then I love how he inserts this phrase. Don't, don't miss this. He's able to save to the uttermost. Now, some translations may translate that. He's able to save completely, which is a fine word. It's an accurate translation. I love this translation because it just sort of heightens, at least in my emotional reaction. He's able to save to the uttermost. To the furthest horizon. Anywhere, everywhere, anytime, any situation, any condition, any person, anywhere. He's able to save us to the uttermost. God's salvation is available to us. And he says here in the text, how's that happen? He's able to save the uttermost, those who come to God through him. It's through Jesus Christ. It's through Him. If you've never trusted Him as your Savior, if you've never put your faith in Him, I would simply say this to you. You have to give up your human efforts because they will always utterly fail. Because that is not the way we're saved. We're saved through a Savior who is able through what He has accomplished to save us. If you are trusting in anything else, you are trusting in an insufficient source to save you. It is Jesus, Jesus alone. It is Jesus, Jesus only. It is Jesus and no one else. It is Jesus and no, nothing else. It is either Jesus or we're lost. In Jesus we can be saved. Outside of Jesus there is no hope. 
So make sure that you've come to faith in him. If you have trouble kind of processing that or you want someone to, add, to have a conversation with you, ask some questions, we can have that conversation. But that's the simp simply put. You need to trust in him. But if you have trusted in him, if you have trusted in him, the amazing reality is he's able to save you to the uttermost. In other words, he can get you from wherever you are into his presence in heaven someday. If I said that, you know, if I said, who believes that, you're all going to say amen, right? But sometimes when things get tough and we get down or we get confused or we get disappointed or whatever it is, sometimes it doesn't feel like he can get us to the end of the day. Sometimes it, it feels like, I, I, how am I going to get through this next hour, let alone whatever? That's <clears> the <throat> so reason we need to come back and worship and say, hallelujah, what a Savior. You can save to the absolute uttermost. He can get me there. He can get you there. He can get us there. And that's, that's a stabilizing influence in our lives. And more importantly, it is an on, a God-honoring way to live in this life. What a Savior. What a Savior. He always lives to make intercession for them. He is there representing us before God. We have a representative there. We have a mediator there. We have one who prays for us there. How do you get through today? He's our prayer warrior. He's our prayer partner. He's interceding for us. He's there in the presence of God for us. He's in the place of influence. He's in the place of power. He's in the place of glory. And he's there on your behalf. So therefore he can save to the uttermost. And then he goes into this, he kind of goes back around, and he says this ability is proven because of these characteristics. I'm just going to go through this quickly, but I want you to see it. Verse 26, for such a high priest, okay, his ability is proven. How? This high priest was fitted for us who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens. We just say it this way. Okay, he's, he's harmless, holy, undefiled, higher than the heavens. And we're going to look at the final sacrifice in just a moment. Look at the end of verse 26. And has become higher than the heavens. Why? Because he ascended through all the heavens. He's, he's, he's ascended and is seated at the right hand of God. Hebrews has more to say about that as we come a little bit further in the book. But you can trust in the fact that we have a Savior. What a Savior we have. And then he goes back to the contrast 27. Who does not need daily as those high priests, that's the earthly ones, to offer up sacrifices first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints as high priest men who have weakness. But the word of the oath which came after the law appoints the son who has been perfected forever. Period. End of argument. So he has proven ability in all these. these once, one sacrifice, all done. The priest of the Old Testament did them over and over and over and over and over again. I want to take you back to 24 one more time. Or excuse me, 25 one more time. Therefore, he's also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Might be a good verse to be familiar with. It might be a good addition to your worship experience. It might be a good verse to commit to memory. It might be a good verse for your mental health. It might be a good verse to really just attach to your heart. It might be good words to share with somebody else who needs to hear about the Savior. What do we need to do? Think more of him. Think more of him. And that's why we come to the table today, to think more of him.
Bliss put it this way. Lifted up was he to die. It is finished was his cry. Now in heaven exalted high. Hallelujah, what a Savior. I wonder if Philip Bliss was reading Hebrews 7 when he wrote these words. And then he looks to the future. Last stanza. When he comes our glorious king, all his ransomed home to bring. Because he saves to the uttermost. Then anew this song we'll sing. Hallelujah. What a Savior. That's a song we need to sing from our hearts today. As we gather around the table for communion in just a moment, that should be the attitude of our hearts. Thank you for joining us for Living the Word today. We appreciate your sharing in this study of the scriptures. Also, be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform so you will not miss a single episode. And thanks, too, for your prayers and for letting others know of this ministry as we seek to be living the Word today. We would love to have your feedback and to hear from you. And the best way to contact us is through our website, livingthewordtoday.com. Until next time, may His blessing be yours.